All right, who's ready to flip some tables? Thinking about the communion table today. How, what, you think that would be good? I don't know about that. This is the series Flipping Tables. This is our seventh and final week in the series, but I wanted you to see that promo video because I thought it was the coolest one we've done so far. Sawyer made that, and I think it's so cool. I'm like, I wanted to show it one last time uh, because Jesus really was someone who literally flipped tables upside down when he came into the temple in the last week of his life. And that whole series, we've seen this. His teaching in the temple that last week of his life is he's flipping the world upside down. And what he's going to talk about today is the longest message in this entire time. This is, last, this is his last public teaching of his life. And it's so important. It's a very long section that we're going to look at today, but it talks about the end of the world. And that's important for us because we need to prepare. Back in 2019, there was a traveler on a business trip who came home from his time in China, and he didn't know it at the time, but he was carrying a virus, a respiratory illness. And when he got back to his home here uh, in the States, he passed it on to a friend, to family, and it began to spread out from there. Within a matter of months, it has spread to hundreds and thousands of people around the country. They started going to hospitals. They didn't know how to treat the virus. And therefore, it led to all sorts of issues within the hospital because they didn't have enough beds. And then on top of that, now the doctors and nurses who were trying to treat this virus were also getting sick, causing a second wave of this pandemic. Hospitals began running out of PPE. They ran out of beds. And to make even matters much worse, the local, state, and federal authorities had a terrible time of communicating. They didn't know how to do it. it made the crisis even worse. It was on track within a few months for 1.2 million uh, Americans to get, get the, the virus, uh, um, I'm sorry, 112 million people to get the virus and 500,000 to die. If you're thinking, wow, that sounds familiar, I remember that, you're wrong. This is actually from a case study that was done in early 2019, put on by the Department of Health and Human Services. They ran a whole scenario to test what would happen if a virus came into the United States, a respiratory virus. It was called um, the Crimson Contagion, and this whole simulation was to see how our hospitals and our public health infrastructure would respond to a virus coming in. After they ran all the simulations, their conclusion was that the United States was woefully underprepared for a virus. They were right, weren't they? And it got filed away and nothing happened. Did you know that happened in 2019? Uh, I'm not making this up. This is a real scenario, and I heard about this when Melissa and I and a couple others from our church went to go hear General Stanley McChrystal this past Monday at CU Boulder. He's a retired four-star general, and he shared in his talk on leadership about preparing for threats that this happened in our country. It became very clear that we were not prepared, and yet nothing changed. Nothing changed. If you're outraged, if you're angry, you should be, because we had the information, we knew that something needed to get fixed and nothing got fixed. And then COVID-19 happened in late 2019, didn't it? We have to prepare for the crises that are ahead. At the end of his talk, General McChrystal said something that really stuck with me. He said that beforehand is always right now. When are we supposed to prepare for the things that are coming? Beforehand, and beforehand is always right now. So I'm saying this not because we need to prepare for the next medical crisis or virus or pandemic or whatever, but we need to prepare because the end of the world will come. That there will be difficulties and challenges, and Jesus is going to talk about that. 
And beforehand is always right now. So we need to prepare right now for what will happen when Jesus does come, when the end is here. So in this message today, like I said, this is Jesus' longest teaching in this last week in his life, his last public teaching, and he's going to talk about the end of the world, what it's going to look like, and he's particularly going to mention five signs to look for, five things that are going to happen. And when he talks about these five things, he also tells us five things to do in response to when those things happen. So here's the five signs, here are the five responses that we're supposed to do. But above all of them, because some of you are like, I can't remember five, I got five fingers, but I don't know if I can remember five things. That's fine. I want you to remember one thing. And it's simple. Look up. Okay? <laughs> Look up. This is going to be such a simple message today because that's what we need to remember. Whatever happens, we need to keep our eyes up and look up. So this is my challenge to you guys today to look up. Can you turn to the person next to you and tell them to look up? Okay, good. Hopefully they'll remember that. Okay, as they're rebooting our computer, it looks like we got a computer reboot going on. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and get to Luke chapter 21. Get to Luke chapter 21. We are going to start in verse 5 and go through the end of the chapter. Um, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go in on the more button on the bottom right, find events, you can find Arise Church Denver, and you can find our scripture that we're going to be looking at today and take notes right there on your phone as we learn to look up. So verse 5, we pick this up. In verse 5, it says that some of his disciples, some of Jesus' disciples, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So they're looking at this great temple. They've been there all week, remember? Looking at it. Oh, it's so beautiful. Look at the stones. Look at the gold. Look at the art. It's beautiful. And then in verse 6, Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. What a buzzkill. <laughs> hey, Jesus, we've been having this great time in Jerusalem, you know, a lot of people would go there maybe once a year for Passover, and that's why everybody's here in Jerusalem. They get to see this beautiful temple, and it's an amazing builder. It's an architectural wonder, and people came from all over the world to see this incredible building that was built. There wasn't churches everywhere and cathedrals all over the country. There was one temple in ancient Israel. So it was the center of their religious life and their political life. This is where everybody would come. And it was incredible. I want you to see some images of the temple, now that we got our computer back up, rebooted. And I want you to see this. This is the Temple Mount today with the Dome of the Rock on it. This is what it would have looked like back in Jesus' day. A huge structure. The perimeter of the Temple Mount is almost a mile there's a ton of stones that were built here, and these stones that were put together by Herod, and if you know some of the history of the temple, the temple was first built by King Solomon, got destroyed by the Babylonians, rebuilt by Ezra, attacked again, and then finally King Herod, yes, Herod rebuilt it, and he spared no expense to make this temple, like, it was like his great achievement. It took years and years to build, thousands of laborers, and these stones, some of them were 45 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. That would have weighed 570 tons, some of these stones. And they did not have cranes. They did not have bulldozers and trucks and, to put these stones in. This would have been manpower, the labor to put these stones in place, one on top of another. And Jesus is saying it's all going to fall. I want you to see this next photo. You can see how beautiful this temple was. 
There's the gold everywhere. And this was like, this was the crown jewel of the ancient world. This was actually twice the size of the Acropolis in Athens and greater in beauty than even one of the seven wonders of the world at the time, the temple in Ephesus. This is an incredible structure. And Jesus said, it's all going down. All the stones are going to fall off of each other. And if you're even trying to think, how do you push 570 tons of a stone off? But that's what Jesus said. It's all coming down. So as you can imagine, Jesus' disciples are like, what the heck? How is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? What, what is it? And in verse 7, that's what they say. They say, teacher, teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? When? We want to know if this temple is going to be destroyed. And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? When and what are the signs? Seems like it's a pretty reasonable question. So Jesus is going to answer them. But what I want you to see here, and we're going to see in this passage, that Jesus gives a prediction, a prophecy about what will happen. And as he's giving this prophecy, what happens with a lot of prophecy in the Bible is that it actually had a fulfillment very soon after Jesus, within a generation we'll see. And yet it also has multiple fulfillments. If you look at biblical prophecy, this is what happened. It'd have a fulfillment that would be like a near fulfillment, and then another one that would be later. Bible scholars often call this telescoping prophecy. Telescoping. Because, as you see here in this image, when you look at mountains, as we can to our west, they look like one mountain range. But when you get closer, we know it's a whole series of mountains, right? There's a huge breadth to our state to get across the Rocky Mountains. But when you look at the front, it just looks like one thing. But when you get up closer, of course, it's multiple things. Telescoping prophecy. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is teaching us and his disciples, he's like, hey, this stuff is going to happen. And it's going to happen soon. But it's also going to happen again. And when you read from the books like Daniel in our Bible to hear what Jesus teaches in, in Luke and in the Gospels, and then you go all the way to the end to the book of Revelation, there are repeated phrases, repeated signs, repeated things, because there are multiple fulfillments of the prophecies. So what Jesus said had a very near fulfillment for the disciples in his day, but it also is really important for us as well. You guys understand that concept? Multiple prophecies of telescoping prophecies. So let's look at the five signs Jesus is going to tell us about, because these five signs would repeat, would repeat. So the first sign is that there will be deceivers. So that's the sign. There's going to be deceivers, and what's our response? Don't follow. There's going to be deceivers, so don't follow them. There are people who will lead you astray, who will teach falsely, who will say all sorts of things that are wrong. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them, what Jesus wants us to hear. So look at this in verse 8 with me. It says that Jesus replied, watch out that you are not, what? Deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not, what? Follow them. They're deceivers, don't follow them. In particular, he mentions two types of deception these false teachers, these pro false prophets will do. One, they'll say the time is near, that Jesus is returning again. The end of the world is happening. Jesus is coming back. They'll also say that they are Jesus themselves. And guess what? Since Jesus said this, there have been hundreds and thousands of people who have done these. Let me just tell you about, uh, about a few of these things. Predicting that Jesus will return. So the first uh, historical one that, that I know about was in 345 AD. Predicted Jesus would come back then. Well, guess what? He didn't. And there have been dozens, maybe hundreds since then. 
In 1000 AD, even one of the popes got in on it. He said, 1000 AD, it's a round number. That's when Jesus is coming back. Sent all of Europe into a panic. Riots, war, breaking out, and guess what? Jesus didn't come back. And it kept going on. Some of the more modern ones that you guys, or I'm sorry, even before that. Columbus, did you know Columbus made some prophecies about the end of the world? Columbus did a lot of things wrong, maybe. Um, but predicting twice in the 1650s that Jesus was going to come back, twice he got it wrong. Okay? But in more modern times, Joseph Smith, the founders of LDS, Latter-day Saints, he predicted that Jesus would return in 1891. He didn't. Ellen White, founder of the Seventh-day Adventists, said it would happen in her lifetime. Well, she died in 1915. Didn't happen. Jehovah Witnesses predicted it in 1914, 1918, 1927, and again in 1975. If you're counting, that's four failed prophecies. Jim Jones, 1967, wrong. Charles Manson, remember that guy? 1969, he got that one wrong. Hal Lindsey was a very popular one, sold a, a best-selling book in the 80s. He was wrong. 1988. Y2K, remember that? That didn't happen then. I heard that Y2K is the new fashion trend. I don't know what that means, but I'm here for it. Okay, I remember those days. Y2K. The Mayan calendar. They, it said it was going to end in 2012. Well, that didn't happen. The blood moons of 2014 and 2015. The world didn't end. Harold Camping. Do you remember this guy? He predicted in 1994 three times on three separate dates in 1994. And then he waited again until 2011 and had two dates. So he got wrong, yes, five times. Five, that's, that's the record, I think. You know what? We're still here. I think Niels Bohr is correct when he said, prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. If anybody says Jesus is coming back, they're wrong. Because do you know what Jesus said? No one knows the day or the hour of return, my return. Not even the angels in heaven. Nobody knows. So if anybody says Jesus is coming back, they are wrong. They are a false prophet. Do not listen to the deceivers. Do not follow them. Jesus also said people would claim to be him, reincarnated. And that has happened again and again and again. Let me tell you about a few of them. Arnold Potter, in the 1800s, he broke from the Latter-day Saints, and he claimed him, that he was Potter Christ, son of the living God. Baha'u'llah, the end of the 19th century, he said he was a manifestation of Jesus Christ. He wanted to unite all religions, and then, of course, he created a new religion called Baha'i. Sun Myung Moon, who died in 2012, in South Korea, created one of the world's largest churches, the Unification Church, and he said he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jim Jones, yes, that guy again, he said that he was a reincarnation, get this, of Jesus, Buddha, and Vladimir Lenin. What a trifecta, right? And then he organized the mass murder-suicide that happened in Jonestown, South Africa. David Koresh in the Branch Davidians in the 1990s, he said he was the Son of God and the Lamb of God, and, of course, he holed up with his followers in Waco, Texas, and in his compound, it burned to the ground with 54 adults and 21 children in it. If you're thinking, oh, that's just stuff that happens out there, well, there was just one in Crestone, Colorado. Did you hear about this? There was a woman named Amy Carlson who started her own cult called Love Has Won. She had people refer to her as Mother God. She appeared on Dr. Phil said she was a reincarnation of Jesus and that she could heal cancer by the power of love. Her body was found uh, in December of last year because they, her followers had mummified her. Now they're in jail and their God is dead. Right now, according to one reporter, um, there's at least six people claiming to be Jesus alive today. 
One created a church that has attracted thousands in Siberia. Another one set up a city called New Jerusalem in Brazil. Another one um, runs an unlicensed taxi company in Nigeria. There's lots of people who claim to be God, to be Jesus reincarnated, to be the second coming of Jesus, and they're all wrong. Do not listen to the deceivers. Do not follow them. Someone claims that Jesus is coming back or that they are Jesus, don't listen to them. Jesus said that every eye will see when he comes. It's going to be very public and everyone will know. So, when is Jesus coming? No one knows. Only Jesus, okay, and the Father. Only the Father knows. And who is Jesus? Jesus. We're all going to know when he comes back. Don't be worried about it. So there will be deceivers, and they will deceive you about all sorts of different things. And if you're thinking, oh, that's just silly, those are just dumb people that go into cults, okay, these people sometimes lose their money, lose their family, lose their lives following these deceivers. And that's why Jesus said, watch out for them. Look up, because we've got to realize that there are deceivers. Don't follow them. So that's the first sign of the end. Second one is that there will be disasters. There will be disasters that happen, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's going to be bad things that happen. Look in verse 9 with me. Jesus says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then jump down to verse 11. Not only will there be wars, conflict between people, he says there will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. There will be um, human disasters and natural disasters. It's going to happen, Jesus said. These are all signs building up and leading to the end. And he even says that they're fearful events, right? But what does he say? Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Other people will be very terrified. They will hear about war in Ukraine. They will hear about conflict. They will hear about nuclear weapons getting armed. And they will be terrified. They'll hole up in bunkers here in the United States. But we as followers of Jesus, we know that there will be disasters. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Because our God, Jesus Christ, can overcome all those things. He is stronger than any disaster that may befall our land. He is more powerful than any war that could ever happen. And even if there's conflict and violence and death around us, we know that Jesus can get us through. Don't be afraid. We're followers of Jesus. Look up. Look up. So that's the second sign. There will be disasters. But Jesus said there's another thing that's going to happen, a third sign. He says there will be discrimination. There will be discrimination, so don't worry. <laughs> there will be discrimination, so don't worry. This is what Jesus is going to teach us in verse 12. He says, but before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They'll persecute you. Verse 14 but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be discriminated against. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now, this is fascinating because that's the kind of stuff that makes us worry, <laughs> to be persecuted and, and attacked and, and, and called names and be imprisoned or killed even because of our faith. Jesus says, don't worry about it. When you face those things, God will give you the words to say. He'll, he'll let you know how to make it through. Don't worry. Now, in our world, there are, you know, two different types of discrimination. There is covert discrimination, and there's overt discrimination. The covert discrimination is what we are used to facing, those of you who have faced it in our own country, where people will make fun of you. They'll say, 
things about you. They'll even put in the media that we're hate-filled hypocrites because we follow Jesus, who's teaching at its core is to love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> They'll make fun of us and ostracize us. We will have friends and family members that uh, ignore us, cut us out, will sometimes even like just stop inviting us to stuff. It's a little more covert, right? They'll stop inviting you. Some of you may even lose your jobs. I've talked with people who've lost their jobs because they're Christian. It happens in our nation. You might not get tenure as a professor, all those kind of things. There is a covert type of discrimination that happens in our country, but there is a very overt type of discrimination that can happen even in our country, but always is happening around the world. Did you know that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world? It is. One study found that since Jesus' time, there have been some 75 million Christians who have been killed because they believed in Jesus. 75 million. 45 million of those were killed last century. It's getting worse, people. On average, in this last decade, there's been about 100,000 Christians killed every single year for their faith. According to one report that I saw from, from 2022, so that's this year the report was released in, in January, that there are 360 million Christians around the globe who live in an area right now where they will face this type of overt persecution. That's one in seven Christians worldwide facing persecution, this discrimination. Nigeria is one of the worst countries in the world for um, persecution like this. And you will hear about, if, if you look it up, you will hear about entire villages burned down because there was a church there. That things like what happened, do you remember back in 2015 with Boko Haram, where they kidnapped a bunch of school-aged girls and took them for sex slaves? That is the real type of discrimination that is happening towards our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And Jesus said that's going to happen, but don't worry. He says don't worry about these things. Don't be bothered by it. It's going to happen. Don't worry. This is amazing what he's going to teach about this. In, in verse 16, he says, You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Isn't that one of those promises we all want to name it and claim it, right? I'll be hated for Christ. But it's a promise. But... Verse 18, not a hair of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus is saying, you may even die, but we have a God who's stronger than even death. Okay? Do you hear this? That we will have life after life. And it even tells us in the book of Revelation that the martyrs are going to be the heroes. That we're going to see those, it says in the book of Revelation, even those who have been beheaded for Christ. And they will stand with new bodies fully restored in heaven, because our God is stronger than even death. That's why Jesus says, don't worry, whatever's going to happen. God will give you the words to say when someone persecutes you. He'll lead you to know what to do in those situations, even should you get thrown in prison. Don't worry about discrimination. Don't worry. That's the third sign that Jesus gives us about the end. The fourth one, the fourth uh, sign is that there will be destruction. So stand firm. Things are going to be destroyed. Things will get bad. Stand firm. Verse 19, Jesus literally says that. He says, stand firm and you will win life. Do you like that verse? I highlighted that one. Stand firm and you will win life. Okay, if you want to know how to win life, stand firm in Jesus. Yeah, highlight that. It literally means you will win your soul. 
Your soul will make it past this life if you stand firm in faith. And in verse 20, he describes what's going to happen in the near term. He says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. That its desolation is near. He's predicting that very soon, Jerusalem itself, the temple, like he just talked about, will be surrounded by a foreign army, and the temple will topple. He said that. Do you know what happened? Within one generation, in 66 AD, there was a war that started between the Jews who revolted against the Roman Empire who was ruling over them. It led to battles and wars, and finally, Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman army, under, put under siege. Many people died, and finally the Romans came in and conquered the entire nation, taking those stones one after another off of the temple. That's what happened. What Jesus predicted happened within the lifetime of many of those disciples. Jerusalem was destroyed. But he told them, even if all those things, your world as you know it, for them, that was everything they knew. Even if it's destroyed, stand firm. In verse 24 in the second half, it says that Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So he says, here's the near prophecy. Remember the, the telescoping, telescoping prophecy, the, the near term. Within a generation, this is going to happen. But also, that will continue happening until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Let me give you my best interpretation of what this means. What this is saying, the time of Gentiles, anyone who's a not, not a Jew, there's a time that God is saying, I'm going to reach those people, the Gentiles. And until that's over, the end will not come. If you look in Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus is talking in this same sermon that Matthew records, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So once all nations, once all people groups, because that word ethne means ethnic groups, people groups, once all the people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the end will come. Then the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. So I would say this means once everyone has had a chance to hear the gospel, all the people groups of the world, the end will come. Jimmy Smith helped me with some research on this. Jimmy is one of the um, missionary partners we support. He's here in our church right now. Thanks, Jimmy. He, he sent me some, some of the statistics we have on this. Um, <clears throat> that, I don't know if you guys knew this, but one-third of the world has no access at all to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are 7.7 billion people in our world today. 3.2 billion have not heard the name of Jesus Christ. They are unreached people groups. There are 17,000 people groups in the world. 7,000 have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, do not have a Bible. They don't even know a Christian. One-third of the world. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, overwhelmed. There's 7,000 people groups that haven't heard it. But get this, there's only 7,000. It's possible that within our lifetime, some of us who are maybe a little younger, that every single one of these 7,000 people groups could be reached if we send the missionaries, if we go and we proclaim the gospel to them. Now, this is amazing that we could do that, that the end, as Jesus said, could come as the gospel is proclaimed to every people group. And that means, yes, that some of us will need to go. Some of our best leaders from our church last year, they left one of our elders and his family, they went to North Africa. To, to reach some of the unreached people. And we love that because we want to reach the unreached people of the world. Some of you may be called to go. 
Some of you may be called to reach your neighbors here. Do you know one of the coolest things is that here in Denver, we have people from all over the world here. We've talked about this. I went online, and there's a map where you could look at all the different unreached people groups in the world, and there was one that has some people here in Denver. There was a Mongolian group that um, had come here a few decades ago, and they were a, a unique tribe within the Mongolian nation, and they were here, and they're still considered an unreached people group. They're in our midst. You could reach a neighbor, and who better to reach those people in Mongolia than those people here when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ? So when we reach our neighbors, and we invite them into our church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, when we become an every nation congregation, like we're reaching for, then we could reach the nations just here. You don't even have to go around the world. Isn't that amazing? So that's why we must be called to go because, as Jesus said, hey, there's going to be this destruction. There's going to be bad things that happen, but we've got to reach the peoples of the world. We've got to make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. And this time of the Gentiles, it hasn't been fulfilled. I don't know if you know this about the city of Jerusalem. But the Romans came in in 70 AD, destroyed the temple. They ruled over the nation of Israel then till 324 AD. The Byzantine Empire came in till 614 AD. Then the Persians, then the Arabs who built the Dome of the Rock. Then another group of Arabs. Then the Egyptians, then the Crusaders from Europe. Then the Kurds, then the Ottomans who held on until the British took control of Israel in, after World War I. And they set up Jerusalem and Israel as a new nation. But even to this day on the Temple Mount, is a mosque. This time of the Gentiles hasn't finished since Jesus predicted. So the fourth sign is that there will be destruction, so stand firm. It's going to happen, stand firm. But the fifth one, the fifth one is that there will be distractions, so stay focused. Stay focused. Verse 27, Jesus says, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads. Look up. Because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. He will return. And we don't know when that's going to be, but we need to look up, right? In verse 32, he says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And we know that every single one of these signs happened within that generation and they're going to keep happening again and again until the end comes. But we don't know when that's going to be, so we have to be prepared now. And there will be distractions. Verse 34 says, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Many people will not be prepared for when Jesus comes back, when the end actually does happen, because they have been distracted. Do you see that? They've lost focus. Carousing, this means with relationships, with things going on, maybe with, with sex, with things that are going on, they, they, they get distracted from Jesus. With drunkenness, substances affect our minds, whether it's marijuana or prescription drugs or alcohol, that they take us away from our focus on Jesus and the anxieties of life. Who in here has anxieties in their life? With kids, with work, with school, with with Ukraine, with all the different things. We have this anxiety, and it gets us so burdened that we forget to look up. We lose sight of what's important, and we're not walking faithfully with Jesus, following him no matter what comes. Jesus tells us to look up. Let's look at one more verse in verse 36. I think Jesus summarizes this whole passage in verse 36. He says, be always on the watch. 
and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. The end is coming. I'm coming back, Jesus says. So keep your eyes up. Look up. Don't get distracted. Stay focused on me no matter what comes around you. Now, I just for a second want you guys to actually physically look up. Could you look up at the ceiling? What do you guys see up there? What does it say? Jesus. How many people in here saw that? So there's a few guys. Maybe a third of you. It's been up there the whole time I've been talking. It said Jesus on the ceiling here if you're watching online. And some of you didn't notice at all because there's a lot of things going on, right? There's a lot of us. It's so easy to just have other things take our focus away from Jesus. I want you guys to see that Jesus is there and he's going to lead us through whatever happens in our life. When there's difficulties, when there's disasters, when there's wars and rumors of wars, when there's natural disasters happening and earthquakes and tsunamis and we're worried, when we're seeing forest fires in our own state, when life brings the anxiety of things that are going on, when we see persecution and discrimination, when we lose our jobs and our friends because we follow Jesus, we can look up to Jesus. When all the burdens of life are pushing us down and trying to distract us from what we need to be focusing on, we need to look up and see Jesus and walk with him faithfully no matter what happens because he will get us through and he will take us through to the end and he will reign forever and we will reign with him. Amen? Lord God, we look to you right now. We look to you. We keep our eyes focused on your son, Jesus Christ, who has gone before us, who suffered, who faced discrimination, who was nailed on a cross, suffering in our place. And we look up to him because we know that he made it through. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. So we can look to him, knowing that we too, no matter what happens, can win life if we stand firm looking to him. Lord God, we look to him. Keep our eyes focused no matter what happens to look to Jesus. Amen. Would you guys please stand as we look to God right now in this this song we're going to sing. We want to look to God. We want to look to Jesus who can get us through everything that's ahead of us.